Welcome to the Nick Taylor Horror Show. Mitzi Perone is a director who blew the minds of many with her spectacularly insane and beautifully executed first feature, Braid. Braid was incredibly intricate and sophisticated while being completely bonkers at times. The horror element of Braid worked both on the gore front and on the existential front, which is a very tough balance to pull off. All of this with a stunning signature aesthetic made this one of the most notable horror movies of not only the last year, but over the past few years. I highly recommend Braid if you haven't seen it already. Braid was Mitzi's first movie, and she got it off of the ground entirely from scratch. No connections, no initial funding, nothing but her wits, creativity, and incredible work ethic. Fascinatingly enough, Braid was funded through cryptocurrency. Mitzi and her executive producer created an equity-based crowdfunding campaign that relied on blockchain. This ensured that anybody who invested in the movie got their money back through the automated currency distribution that blockchain offers. This was a first-of-its-kind film funding technique and a serious innovation that Mitzi was able to pull off. Her story is incredibly inspiring and full of so many golden pieces of advice my head nearly spun. This definitely was my favorite interview so far. Anyway, enough from me. Here's the fantastic Mitzi Perone. Hi, Mitzi. How are you? Hi. Excellent. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Really, really good. So would love to dive into just overall how you how you were how you were able to get braid off of the ground from the beginning, because it sounds like you just were able to go from having a concept to getting a very, very accomplished film off the ground. Thank you. And uh, just kind of out of it seemed like you did it all on your own, like you you didn't. That is correct. You, it doesn't seem like you were leaning on previous funding or connections or anything like that. Can you talk about what that overall process was like? I mean, yes. essentially how you were able to get that off the ground. So it all started in 2015. Actually, in between 2014 and 2015 is when I had the idea for the film. I really just wanted to make a statement on a philosophical um, quest that I was on, um, just trying to understand truly um the difference between reality and dreams and if there was mm-hmm. such difference in the end the question that brain is asking is can we make a separation can we draw a line in between what's made up and what's real if reality is so subjective and so much of reality comes from a place of imagination a place of invention a place mm-hmm. of you repeat ideas in your head until you speak those ideas and act upon those words and then you become that thing if you think about it everything in reality is invented society is invented Mm -hmm. this names are invented geographical borders even time um so my question was what separates us from kids playing make-believe and why do we inherently just like start playing rehearsing at life from a very young age and nobody tells us to and then we somehow stop but then we transition into real life and it like it is part in my opinion of it trickled from years of studying philosophy and literature and art and the idea of I think I was you know standing on the shoulders of giants such as Plato when he was like oh the plate like here's Plato's cave here's William Shakespeare saying we're all mere players on a stage Um, Mm -hmm. I felt like I had a lot of that, like, just like 20th century crisis of ideals, um, that were questioning whether any of it was real. Um, and so the idea of adults playing make-believe 
was so kooky and interesting to me um, and kind of satirical, but still like dark and twisted. And um, I knew that I wanted to keep it single location for budgetary reasons. So especially horror movies and psychological thrillers, I feel like that's the number one thing that a filmmaker should think about. Can I set most of this in one place? Because it really is special to like trap a bunch of people in one specific location because their their characters come out the most like you really get a mm. chance at, at over dramatizing what they're going through um tales of entrapment i would say is uh, an interesting way of looking at it you save money and also you just like get a lot of, out of the out of your um characters and out of your actors um and company moves are always the most expensive and the most just like you know they they shake the ecosystem of the film set because all of a sudden you're outside or just you know when we transition and braid from the the house like the house was like our headquarters it was perfect Mm -hmm. um and the second that we went outside it was mayhem it was like nobody knew where the bathrooms were nobody knew where catering was um there were ticks in the field apparently that like got in the actress's hairs um oh, the, no. No, no no but that's like that's nothing then it was like oh by the way the, here's the the owner of the farm she goes there's snap turtles they take the oh keys. my god and i was about to put my actresses in a hole to like do those like opening shots of the girls sweeping in a grave where did you guys shoot so we shot in yonkers but yeah so again it's like all of a sudden you're in a different your your whole crew is just like a little bit squandered so the more you can stay in one place my second fi- movie is also going to mostly take place in one location it's just it's mm-hmm. better um if you want to keep the budget tight etc and it does really you know it's easy for a horror movie to um take place in one space so um yeah. and then i wanted i wanted it to be about three girls because initially um I wanted to cast myself in it and I wanted to put um, my two best friends in it. It was like, oh, I'm going to make a movie um, because I was just like very much stuck in a in in a um, audition hole of scripts that I didn't want to work on um, mm-hmm. and for like for no pay or just like for exposure. And it just like I had gotten to a place in which I definitely I wanted to act. I love the idea of acting, but I didn't like to be a working actor. I didn't like the process behind uh, getting the jobs, et cetera. I just like right. felt very passive and um, I, like my hands were tied. So and I always loved writing. Um, and those few sets that I got to um, when I was acting in short films, I was always telling people what to do everybody so mm-hmm. i was a pain in the ass and also i wasn't having fun it was just like not good um so to me writing my first screenplay came really quite easily because in the end it is a universal language um nobody everybody can write a screenplay in my opinion because in the end you don't need any fluff you just need to write what you see and what the characters are mm. doing. You can rely on like cute words and like verbose statements. You can rely on just like the artistry of writing. And it's not poetic. It's like the exact opposite. It's very dry. Once you learn the technique, once you learn, oh, here's interior, exterior, stage directions, action. It's not that complicated. Everybody can write a screenplay. Um 
And so, yeah, I had those elements. I had the like visual element of adults playing make-believe. And I had, I wanted it to be about three women and I wanted it to be taking place in one location. Um, Mm -hmm. Once I had the script, like a first draft, um, in 2015, I shot a little teaser, a concept trailer, a woman, a concept trailer that was wild and so fun. And that was the first time I ever directed. I was in it and Mm. I couldn't find a director. And so I was like, I'm going to direct it. Um, and it just like was a complete game changer because I went from feeling passive and restless and dissatisfied as an actor to active and control and just a completely blissful and elevated. Mm. It was like, uh, yeah, this is what I'm meant to be doing for the rest of my life. (laughs) Um, and it was, it was the, it was amazing. Um, so I had the script and I had this one minute video that was really cool. Um, and it was just like showing how the concept would have, would have played on camera. And it's funny because the trailer for Braid now, it's literally the same structure as that original. Yeah, no, it's like some people hit me up being like, it's funny how it's literally the same as five as four years ago. And I'm like, I know. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, (laughs) so, um, then that was 2015. I had those two things, but I still had no connections, obviously no money to make a movie. And all I knew was Indiegogo and Kickstarter. And I was like, I can't raise enough money for this through Indiegogo. I'm not Zach Braff. You know, Mm -hmm. this is not going to work for me at most. I'm going to get 10 K maybe if people actually, I don't know. I don't think I even have that many friends. Um, and I, it was never going to make the movie. And also I just like, didn't like the structure of this donation based crowd funding, um, right. sourcing instead. I was like, this, it needs to be, we need to give an incentive. It can't just be t-shirts and signed posters. Nobody's going to contribute. And, um, that year at a music festival, I met, um, the CEO of the, uh, blockchain tech company, um, Joseph Lubin, who ended up being my executive producer. And we, I was telling him about this movie and he was telling me about, uh, the technology behind cryptocurrency, the idea of blockchain, um, that basically it's like this peer to peer technology. It enables smart contracts mm-hmm. and smart contracts are great because they're, if, then contracts. So if you donate money to my movie, then you will automatically make money the second you make your money back the second that the movie earns anything with an additional 15%. It took us like a year to set up this whole new crowd sale that was completely untested. Um, it was nobody had ever done that before. Um, trying to convince, sorry, trying to convince film people of cryptocurrency and crypto and crypto mm-hmm. people of film financing was tricky because <laughs> in both worlds are hard to navigate and pretty obscure for the average person. So it was this, uh, very, um, interesting and kind of like limbo like situation that I was in. Cause, um, nobody, the two parties didn't trust each other. Uh, mm. but I, yeah, but so, I believed in it. And also I felt like the best way to enable independent filmmaking truly is to let the people that wouldn't otherwise have voices have voices. So Mm -hmm. how do we, um, 
how do we give power to independent filmmakers without having without having them like sell their souls and change the script in order in order for them to for the scripts to fit um, pre-made formulas, et cetera. And then we lose the whole battle and we might as well not be independent filmmakers. So um, this system was really able to um, help me maintain my artistic integrity. Because I wasn't mm-hmm. dealing with normal executive producers. I wasn't dealing with a studio. I wasn't dealing with uh, film investors. I was dealing with people that wanted their technology to be applied to a new uh, form of investment and a new project. Mm-hmm. But that also um, had a clear vision of what the movie was going to be. I made everything available from the treatment to the script to the casting to um, how I was gonna shoot it and um, let's say comparables, um, the idea that horror movies are also the, um, you know, have the highest ROIs in all genres, et cetera. So um, I just like made it really clear and I like made it as like bare bones, like easy to digest form of investment possible. And um, we, um, yeah, we had the sale, this like equity crowd sale on crypto- with cryptocurrency in uh, June 2017 so it took us a whole it took me it took me and my team a whole year to figure this out because obviously it was like oh we have like one version that's ready let's test it there's bugs the website is crashing it's like we had to like obviously mm. do a bunch of uh test runs and um we had to figure out legal with it all um which was pricey and extremely um testing and um but then yeah then we i hired my producers ariel Elvis and longen steinhardt i needed someone who was not too established to mm-hmm. take this bet because someone with a pre-established reputation wouldn't have done it because it was a risky right. thing now the more i look back at it if we hadn't made the sale work my name, like we had to create press before. If you're going to do a crowd sale, you need to create a crowd. To create a crowd, mm-hmm. you need press. You need to make sure that you, people know who you are and they can follow you and invest their time and emotions in you, et cetera. So I had to do a lot of press before the crowd sale popped. And my name and the name of the movie was out. So if the sale hadn't gone well, uh, I, it would have been kaput. It would have been the end for me. Um, <laughs> So um, I, it was terrifying. We started the sale on June 7th, 2017, after we had attached the actors, after we had attached um, and my producers and uh, my casting director, Matthew Glasner, um, attached the girls. Get a really good casting director. This is my other piece of advice. Cause okay. yeah, cause the second that you have a good casting director, they'll get you, he, she will get you the actresses that you'll need to get anyone's attention or the people mm-hmm. that you need for this movie, for your movie um, to work. Um, it's yeah. always like, it's always that problem of, of course you need money to hire actors, but you need actors to get money. Um, my best advice would be to, again, if you're making a low budget movie, it has to be really good. Otherwise, because people aren't working for, uh, yeah, paycheck. They're working mm-hmm. because they love the story and they want to help you bring it to life. So 
as long right. as the story is speaking to that person, the right actor will attach. Um, the casting process can be really traumatic because, of course, you're going to go out to people that you love and they're going to say no to you. And you just like, can take it personally because more often than not, it's not they may have not even read the script. It's like it's not right. about you. It's about their career and where, where they're at in that moment. It's not a judgment on your uh, on your work. So don't get discouraged if you don't get the right actors or the the people that you want it. You will your script will act as a yeah like vibe tribe color. So the hmm. right people will attach to your script. Um, and once you have the actors, once you have the the producers, once you have your casting director and your um, DP production designer and um, and costume designer that's like that you have your bulk of like your creative tribe um you're you're in a good place to like start pre-production etc we um started pre-production before the sale popped so of course we didn't have any money to pay uh our people and it was stressful for the first two weeks um i'm not proud of that but it, it just like we wanted the sale had to get pushed back and we wanted the um that house we wanted the location real bad and we could only get it in the month of july and everybody else's schedule mm. it was just like it had to happen then so we did the sale the sale raised 1.7 in two weeks which still blows Oof. me away um it was crazy because I was, I was petrified the night before i didn't sleep i was like this is this is gonna go one or two ways and um right so yeah once once we get on on to onto production into production everything was great like flawless and that was and it was flawless because we did a lot of work in pre-production my dp and i mapped every single shot i storyboarded most of the like the most iconic scenes of the movie i had drawn mm -hmm. out myself um and if you have this like lookbook this bible thing with like all the references all the like um, lens switches that you want to make if you want to get fancy changing lenses etc yeah. um, with yeah like I said artistic references a lot of the shots were sh were shaped after paintings and sculptures um, and a storyboard that you can make available to everybody that's also super helpful because on a small independent set you have on and off 70 to 100 people that Again, they're not there for the money. I mean, maybe some mm -hmm. are, but the more you make everybody feel involved, the more, especially the director, you need to know everybody's name. You need to say hello, good morning to everybody. And your yeah. vibe will determine how the day goes. If you show up on set and you're upset or stressed, everybody's going to pick up on that vibe. And then everybody's upset and stressed. You need to be the cheer everybody's cheerleader and you need to be calm and you need to be happy and uh, mm -hmm. the more you can involve people and let them eat, like everybody, like even the PA that's just there for one day has to feel like they're embarking upon this journey with you is you never know yeah. where the like brilliant idea is going to come from. You never know who's going to like pick up on like that one thing that you, of course, like you can't as the director, you know, you can, you can only do so much. Um, of course you have to keep an eye on everything, but if, everybody feels like they're working with you and not for you, then you have a dream set. You, it's not work. It's like so much fun. Um, yeah. But yeah, pre-production, we definitely um, were on a, a no sleeping schedule, but it's worth it. That's awesome. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. As far, I mean, the movie looked unbelievable, and there obviously were a lot of uh, a lot of different influences. And it's funny that you mentioned having a reference guide for your pre-production. So what I was wondering is, I mean, throughout the course of either years or recently, how how do you kind of collect ideas that you like? Because obviously, you you draw from philosophy, and you draw from novels, mm-hmm. and you draw from music and art and sculpture, and just so many things. How do you kind of mm. keep track of all of these different things that influence you? I mean, do you- I write a lot, like even just like little notes on like whether it's like little like bits of like poetry of like how I feel in that given moment. Mm-hmm. Just like literally on, on, I used to have like a precious like paper notebook and then um, it just, the, the, your, your, the notes app on your phone, I just, every two seconds, if I get an idea or it's not even like, oh, I got an idea. It's more like I question, I question our, our perception of reality a lot. And I think that that came out in Braid. I write mm-hmm. off, often about what scares me it was braid or death. I'm dead serious. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't have anything else like in mind, but that movie. So it sounds like it was a really transformative experience to have made this movie. Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I like, I healed through this movie. Um, if I don't know if you care for like this, like tiniest bit of backstory on. Absolutely. So I, I was born and raised in Italy and I, um, thankfully I was surrounded by like beautiful art and beautiful literature and culture, et cetera, my whole life. I studied all of it because I, I was enamored with it. I was spending more more times, um, more time on books, like philosophy books than outside, like a normal teenager. And, but then I got to a place in which I felt like I was filled with academia and I didn't know anything myself. Mm. Truly. Uh, I had a lot of good grades and like no real life experience. So Right. Uh, at the end of high school, I left at 19 to move to New York City by myself amongst uh, just like overall disapproval of everybody from my parents and my professors, my friends. They were all like, you're going to come back. Like, this is not a sustainable career acting. Like, what are you thinking? And I was like, no, it makes sense. I studied hum- the, the humanities this whole time. Mm-hmm. Studied theater is like the next logical thing to just like truly like deepen my knowledge of, of, of what being a human being means. What's the human heart, etc. And um, so I went to theater school. And after I got out of theater school, I was again, like I said, booking stuff that I didn't really care to book or like, it wasn't even that it was just like seeing so many projects never come to life. Like that hurt me Mm -hmm. profoundly. It was always like, we're shooting a teaser for something. And then like, we can't even make it to like set because the producers and the director like didn't take the job seriously. But meantime, they like hire actors we like memorize lines already knowing that we're not going to get paid we invest our time in it and then like somehow like things just like don't work out and i was like it needs like a director needs this mindless drive more than they need talent almost Hmm. um and so eventually i booked a part that i was so in love with and it was a short film they needed money they were going to do it with indiegogo etc because of the maniac that I am, I was like, no, let's make it into a feature film and, and get a lot of money and then go through, go to South by. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. And two years of work, I was 22 years old. I was so young, so unprotected. I didn't have an agent. Again, I was like alone in New York city. 
um, trying to make this movie happen. And I like helped the director turn it into a feature film and like got them with a production company, actually a good like indie small production company, but that was ready to like put money into this. Mm-hmm. And then uh, two years go by, the director hits on me and I'm like, no thanks. And he fires me. Um, oh God. Yeah. And, um, and it wasn't so much like the sexual, like whatever, of it it was more the abuse of power that scarred me mm-hmm. and the fact that i wasted so much time so much time and energy and love and passion into this and then i just like got snatched away from me like that right. and i was like i was already like not okay with being an actor from like that like just like not being in control um aspect but that really was the last was it the nail in the coffin i was like this is never going to happen to me ever again and uh, that's when I started writing Braid. Also, my modeling agency had lost my visa. So I couldn't go home even if I wanted to. Wow. Yeah, so I was an immigrant. I was unemployed. And I had stolen toilet paper in my backpack. And I was living out of a uh, walking closet. So they, it, it was it was a terrifying time in my life. But it was the best. It was the best because um, I... I I had come to a place in which I realized that I was that abusive director and I was my circumstances. Like I planted myself Mm -hmm. in that moment. So it was like, I needed the lights to go off for me to blossom. Um, Right. So especially as far as like, where do you get your ideas? I think, I think it's important whenever life throws stuff at you take a minute to internalize, take a minute to like really think what is going on, why you're hurting. And mm-hmm. I mean, in the end, we all go through the same things. We all wonder the same things, who we are, what are we doing here? Is any of it real? So for me in that moment, I just like, I looked at reality like a mirror. I was like, this is, this is not separate from me. This is me. Mm-hmm. And this is God. And there's a reason, not so much like there's a reason, but like, you're in the best, you're always in your best position that you can possibly be. And even when things aren't going right, there's something in there um, that can help you grow and they can help you birth right. something, especially if like pain goes to waste. It's, it's, it's a waste. Um, when something hurts, make something out of it. And so I wrote braid again, the use of mirrors in the movie, we use them a lot for two reasons. Reasons, first of all, just like the idea of split personality of like who you are and who you want to be. When those mm-hmm. two people recognize that they're not the same, there's like this like dichotomy and you start getting paranoid and you start getting anxieties and you're depressed and you compare yourself to other, to other people. And, um, and the idea of reality being an extension of your thoughts and a mirror to your thoughts mm-hmm. So reality does take the shape of what you think. Um, so, yeah, to me, for me, it was it was really, yeah, it was a cathartic process to make Braid. And although it's like marketed, I guess, as a horror movie, psychological thriller, gory, etc. In the end, it wants to say, use your imagination because it is the key to the world. It is the key to mm-hmm. your existence. And just don't die in your dreams because in the end, you know, the girls all start off with like some kind of need or desire or expectation for their lives, but then they get caught up in this like game of make believe. And by the time they get, they right. try to get out, it's too late. So 
Yeah, I had read somewhere that you wrote it based on the fear that you had of manifesting your your biggest fears. And that, in other words, the whole power of kind of internal suggestion yeah. can cause you to manifest yeah. things. Yeah. And that, and then, and then I, I think it, it may have been a separate article. You'd also mentioned how you kind of were able to take your hard scenario and enable it to kind of manifest you into a director. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, no, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty wild. So I mean, the power of suggestion and and all of that obviously is is it sounds like it's it's very important. It's insane. I remember when we got into Tribeca because that that was like the last. I was like, what is going on? Um, <laughs> we got into Tribeca. I was I was really I was depressed because we didn't get into Sundance. The movie wasn't ready. I was like arguing with my editor every day, like crying in this like very small um, editing room. It was winter, New York City. Like, are you in New York right now? Mm-hmm. I yeah. can tell by the building behind you. Yeah, so I lived oh, in nice. New York. <laughs> I lived in New York for eight years, and I was in this like depressive, like New York City winter state of mind. And um, I, my producer texted me a screenshot of um, Tribeca Film Festival inviting Braid in their midnight section, like praising the movie, etc. Whirlwind of like blah 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 blah. I was walking around. Fight I and I literally I had to like go into a coffee shop and I'm like can I use your restroom I, I, <laughs> I was in that public restroom I looked at myself in the mirror I started crying and then I go the farce continues <laughs> I was like, there you go this crazy this crazy <laughs> farce continues <laughs> that's so cool it's yeah no, it was it was it was wild and um, no, that's a pretty amazing story Thank you. I mean, did you have any sort of internal, either spiritual or psychological practice that kind of enabled you to kind of turn your thinking into a positive direction? Yeah. Like every morning, every morning I told, I was telling myself, um, what did I say? Um, well, I start, I wanted to start, I started every morning with like, just like honey, my blessings as far as mm-hmm. like. I'm alive. Like I'm still breathing. I have a roof above my head, just like going through. I have a brain that's enabling me to writing, to write a screenplay. I have a body that works. So like that, just like starting the morning saying thank you instead of, Oh Mm. fuck. Um, really helped. And then I kept telling myself like, you're, 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 everything happens. Everything that's happening to you, that's happened to you is preparing, has prepared you for this moment. You wouldn't be here or even had a chance, you wouldn't be having a chance at something this great if you mm-hmm. weren't cut for it. Um, right. And of course I had, there were many times that I was like, I'm, I'm not, I can't, I can't do this many, many times, but somehow, you know, you can have as much like negative negativity and darkness in you as you want, as long as it's like 49%, 49% dark and 51, like at the end of the mm. day, your positivity has to win. And that's why right. I also it's a it's a risky thing to do, but I do recommend not giving you a, a choice, not giving yourself a choice. Like if you have a fallback that's like too comfy, you won't end up doing enough work to get your first film made. And the, it's just it's because it's 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 an insane process. It's like really difficult and it's really trying in every possible way, psychologically and emotionally etc. And so if you have a plan B, if you have another job that you're working on, uh, it's you're likely not to give film your film 100%. So Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Does that make sense? I don't know if it made any sense. Yeah. No, it absolutely uh, does. Seeing the finished um, movie mm. with Braid, what would you, in retrospect, what would you have invested more in and what would you invested less in? I don't necessarily mean money. Yeah, it could no. be time, effort, energy. Yeah, no. So one thing that every producer will tell you because they think they're being smart and precious and they're not is trim the fat, kill your darlings. Mm. Because if they see anything that's like past 90 pages, like 95, they're like, oh, this is going to be expensive. Mm. This is going to like right. be more days etc and what producers do sometimes that drives me crazy is that they tell you that the script is great they love you and they want to make the movie with you so you hire them and then in the first meeting first like meeting of like these people being your producers they're like we're gonna have to cut the script and you're like right because i just like wrote 20 extra pages because i felt like it i mean everything is in there for a reason and they're like well but we don't have enough money to shoot it all and i'm no we don't have we won't be able to get enough um enough days on set and i'm like well don't get a shoot that doesn't fit you and then and then complain that you're that you're that you're hurting so but again i was a first timer so i trusted my producers and i trusted the people around me telling me look a lot of a lot of movies die and like a lot of scenes do go to die in post-production and the editing process Mm -hmm. because they weren't that important and it's true that when you're starting out, you're not going to get two months to shoot your first movie. I got 25 days and my, the script at the very beginning was 123 pages. It got down to 93 because I got, I was given 25 days and I was like, we won't be like my, my crew's going to die. This is not going to work out. I can't. The sweet spot is like four pages and a half a day. Mm Mm-hmm. I, we were we would have had to shoot like six, seven, or eight, and this is not this braid was never going to be a yeah like handheld like Blair Witch Project situation, right? Um, so I guess that can work if yeah if you want a little bit more like realistic like iPhone shooting uh, type of cinematography. But so I had to cut out a lot of pages that weren't necessarily moving the plot forward, but they were important for character development. It was like mm-hmm. the little nuances, the little things. And those little things often get cut. And if you can fight for those things to stay, do. Because in the end, it worked out for Braid because it has a manic pace. Because the characters are crazy. The movie goes crazy. You know, you're living in this like free association, like fever dream, dream poetic logic type of yeah. world. But already on my second movie they were like we're gonna have to cut this down and i'm like oh hell no <laughs> i was like not again <laughs> i was like i know that it sounds cool to say kill, kill your darlings but give me more days i was like this is right because it's it is a good advice but it's also like the advice that could seriously hurt your movie um of course mm-hmm. if there's there's sometimes it's true there might be scenes that don't necessarily need to be there and they're just expensive and you're wasting time but trust yourself if you've written it it's probably there's got to be a reason why it's there, but take the notes. Notes yeah. are great. Don't. Yeah. Now that makes a lot of sense because it's those little details, those little nuances are what make directors. It, it's what gives directors a signature, you know, yeah, it, it gives them like their yeah. individual voice. Yeah. And yeah, a I mean, lot of people want to cut those elements. Yeah. No, also cause like there's like the psychological thing of like the producer reading the whole thing, they get the whole idea and then they don't think about the fact that, they're like, oh, here's 45 and 95% that works or 75% that mm-hmm. works. 
And they don't think about the fact that their brain has registered the 35% that they are about to cut out. And right. if you the second, it's, if it's not on the paper, forget about having it on camera. It's just the mm-hmm. paper, the script has to be like, seriously, the most important thing in the world. And you have to fight for every single word that's on it. So yeah, they don't realize that. And they're like, oh yeah, the movie will be fine without scene number 44. And then you watch the movie and it's good. But like the characters are not as they don't like some all, all the little nuances. The characters are like some of them are they're missing. And if you're mm-hmm. and if the character is in well-rounded, um, then you don't care about them. And if you don't care about the characters, right. you're lost. The so, movie falls flat. Yeah. I wish Braid had been 120 minutes <laughs> instead of. eight. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So one thing that I read that um, a lot of your cast and crew had said was that I've never been so challenged and I've never been so let free in my life, oh my God, I which I thought that was, Maddie yeah, I thought that was that, super a lot cool. Of people said that. No, yeah, that's, um, I remember that's why I'm like thinking about the being on set. I think Madeline Brewer, Brewer said that, but a lot of people were saying that. Um, I think that uh, what happened was that I trusted every single person on my set and I enabled mm-hmm. them, maybe a little too much, <laughs> but I enabled every <laughs> single person to have their moment to shine. Again, it's like mm-hmm. the whole idea of like, this is not your movie. It's everybody's movie. Um, right. And obviously, obviously we were shooting in, in non-chronological order, we're shooting by location. Uh, we started with the kitchen and then we moved into the living room. The living room was basically where like all the high stakes, insane, mind-melting scenes were taking place. We shot those on day three. So because, again, it's convenient and it's true that it's best to shoot by location instead of in chronological right. order because it saves money. But so and that was challenging. It was challenging that, um, you know, the movie goes in and out of reality to the point that you can tell what's real and what isn't anymore. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was like, is this a dream sequence? Is this a, uh, is this a, 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 um, a, a hallucination, et cetera. And like, my answer was, does it, what, what's, what's the difference? Like, don't think about that. <laughs> don't, it doesn't matter. Uh, that's like, that's the whole point. Uh, it's the I point just, of the like, movie. Yeah. It's to me, we live you know, we live in our heads in the end, what we uh, perce- perceive to be real and what we've imagined once like it's passed, it goes into the same compartment of your brain that stores memories. Your brain mm-hmm. does not, cannot tell the difference between a made up memory and a real memory. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. You think about like, I don't know, like even mundane stuff, like you think you sent an email, you think about writing the answer to an email then you forget to, pre- to write it because like your brain is like, no, no, we did it. We did it. I got to check that. And I know you never replied to that email. And you're like, I yeah, it's so weird it. the way that that happens. Yeah. Or just like how much I like have convinced myself of like, especially like, um, 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 flights and like, um, just like going to like the wrong airport. No, I mean, not that, but like going, showing up for a flight on the wrong day, just because I thought I convinced myself that it was on Tuesday. And I'm like, no, your flight took off <laughs> yesterday. I'm like, outrageous oh no like, how did that happen? <laughs> and i'm like Mitzi, what the like how did you i don't know it's just like the second like you change something in your brain you convince yourself of that that's gonna be it mm-hmm. so um 
but yeah, like I said, I think I really, I think I really empowered my, uh, my teammates and I think that was beautiful. And I think that really came through. Yeah. Mm. That's all. I mean, I heard that on a low budget set, obviously everybody's not, not everybody's there for the money, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But if they do have a voice in the actual movie itself, if they do feel like they have a purpose and they're, and if you allow them to do their job, yeah. And if you enable it as just one big collaboration, yeah. that motivates people in a huge way. I heard you can move yeah. mountains that way on a film yeah. set. Yeah. And it sounds like that's exactly the dynamic that you created. Yeah. Our, one of our um, people on uh, on the costume department, Lucky, he was amazing. He was always like, making history. That's all he was saying. Every <laughs> single shot. Yes, I need, but I need, you know, and the boom operator like told me he was like, was like guy who's been in the industry for so long. He was like, mm-hmm. you've been the best director I've ever had. And I'm like, David, what are you talking Whoa. about? You like have done like your career has like been like, what, 20 is like 25 years. And I'm like, Shh. and he's like, no, you've been seriously the best director. Like you've been like a captain to all of us in a way that again, it's you, you treat everybody with respect. You have enabled everybody to speak up and tell you what they thought instead of just calling Mm -hmm. the shots and using us and your like massive like castle whatever chess pieces uh right master plan so yeah no i do and you can tell that's the thing and back to like being in one place you can tell everything um that's going on with other people and i think i think especially female filmmakers and this is not just like me like enabling female filmmakers but like Women ha- do have a special power. We like read minds. Women have mm-hmm. like that like sixth sense of like I can tell that someone's upset and I don't even need to look at them. I see it. Right. I feel it. So, to female filmmakers, like seriously, do use that sixth sense because it's important to be able to. You know, you have to be stern. You have to like <laughs> stand your ground uh, and also mm-hmm. be in disagreement a lot with people. Like you don't. I think that the reason why there's not as many filmmakers as we wish but like it's changing obviously thankfully it's changing it's because women are naturally drawn to agreeing we want everybody to be happy we want everybody we're nurturers we we don't want the disagreement we try to stay away from Mm -hmm. that and unfortunately as a director you have to step on people's feet you can't always be happy kumbaya and everybody's agreeing actually that's not going to happen you have to be able to like really stand your ground and know that you're going to be alone and know that you're going to be fighting battles that nobody else understands why that thing is important besides you so you have an obligation to even be in disagreement with people that you don't want to be in disagreement with but uh, you know more than anybody else what the movie needs and Mm -hmm. sometimes you have to argue with people and that's totally fine but also yeah again i think women but also a lot of men, but like women specifically do have that. Like I see everything around me. I feel it. Intuition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's, I think women, yeah, women definitely have way higher and they've been studies have shown this. Women yeah. Also just because of like, we have to, like, intuition. Be able to like hold a baby that can speak and like, doesn't know how right. to articulate thoughts. And we're like, I know what you need. And it's like, that is mm-hmm. like ingrained in our DNA. Um, so, and yeah, yeah don't, because feelings are gonna get hurt on set for sure and yeah don't dismiss don't dismiss the people especially the the pas especially the people that are not like department heads and actors 
they're so important. They drive your people around. They like make sure that you get food, et cetera. Um, even if you can like, grab them at the end of the day and be like, thank you so much. You did a great job. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that will go a long way. Yeah. The last few questions. Um, I'm always interested about how directors work with actors and, in your movie, your actresses went through such a spectrum of different emotions and, and they were all very, very compelling. Obviously, they were very gifted actresses. But could you talk about your overall process with working with the actors and enabling them to tap those emotions? Because it's, it's very raw and, and very believable. Right. Um, so I, um, I made myself available for rehearsals a lot. Um, I wanted to make sure in a way that the, girl, I, that the girls knew this like a play almost Mm -hmm. like I wanted them to like know every single line so that I could like not think about those lines anymore. And Imogen did that. Um, and you know, she like, she got on board pretty fast. Like she had three or four months to prep. Um, Mm -hmm. and I just, you know, in the, I, in the moments of deepest emotional, um, demand, I, um, I, I prepped her like we I helped her prep like on set that day trying to ground those emotions as possible as as, as much as I could mm-hmm. um Madeline doesn't like to memorize lines until the very last minute pretty much like the day before and that really frightened me I was like oh god she's not gonna know her lines what's gonna happen but I also I, I was like if that's your process that's totally fine and yeah, Maddie showed up every single day on set, like obviously like nailing her lines and just being completely fine without me having to like ingrain every single word in her head. And then Sarah, Sarah Hay was in character the whole time, like completely method. I didn't get to know Sarah until the movie was done. I actually thought she hated mm-hmm. me. Um, Cause, um, sorry, hold on a sec. Okay. Um, and yeah, no, I was in that. So I had three completely different actresses. I had one that was like almost like theater training, like ready mm-hmm. to go any moment at any given moment to like, I'm going to memorize the lines the day before to method acting. And, um, uh, yeah, wow. yeah, no, I made sure to like, you know, I'm available if you want to rehearse, I'm available if you don't want to re- rehearse. If you have any questions, please let me know. And we're also just like staying all together at the hotel across the street from from location. So we spend the nights like before even just like hanging out, but still talking about the movie, still like truly deeply understanding every single moment Mm -hmm. in it and um, creating again that like environment in which no question is stupid. Like ask me anything you want. But I was also I was super lucky I got actresses that were extremely smart and extremely kind and like deep and like ready to like get cerebral. Very cool. So um, last question, obviously in the world of filmmaking and writing and directing, there's a lot of resources out there. There's a lot of books, there's a lot of courses, a lot of which are created by people who have not actually accomplished anything in that arena. I so there's like a lot of bullshit. Said that. God bless you. Let's get it on a t-shirt and get me <laughs> Like 10. It's like someone <laughs> wrote a review of Braid on Instagram today. Still gave it like a 10 out of 8, an 8 out of 10. But the review was mm-hmm. like, 
this was more of an acid trip than a movie. And I just wanted to be like, and you're more a guy with an Instagram account than a real, than a real critic. But okay. (laughs) I'm just like, ah, all of you people like criticizing Uh, social media. So like, I don't understand. I know it's so annoying. Yeah. So anyway, continue. No, I was going to ask as far as, um, I mean, as far as your career is concerned and your creativity and your creative process and, and your, your directorial and writing ability, were there any resources or books that were particularly helpful for you? Yeah. The, the, the hero's journey. Oh, Joseph Campbell. Yes. Nice. Yeah. 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 Cause, um, I mean, I, I unconsciously had that training by going to like crazy, um, high school for humanities in Italy where they were like, mm-hmm. They drilled the Divine Comedy and the Odyssey and Crime and Punishment in, in our brains until we memorized it, like knew it back and forth. And I, um, I was translating from Greek original original Greek tragedy and like Latin operas for seven years um, when I was a teenager. So like, I had the like basics of the writer's uh, the hero's journey. Which is the cool thing about the hero's journey is that it's the writer's journey, meaning the creator, the creative's right. journey. You always, you never just like, like back to cre- back to ideas. Something happens to you, so you're the flawed hero. Mm-hmm. You need something. You don't know what it is, but like you need something, and something happens to you, and you're like, oh no, I'm in a very sticky situation. What am I gonna do? So at first, you, you you're like, I have a plan. I think you know, and like, it could be just you and someone else, but like, I know what I have to do. And then there's the refusal to the call. You're like, I'm not going to do this. This is too scary. Right. It's crazy. Um, but you're about to embark upon the hero's journey. You're about to go into this underworld mm-hmm. that is, you know, uh, Alice in Wonderland, the matrix, you know, there's always a yacht going somewhere else to get yeah. something that's, it's, it's a material thing. Usually like the Holy grail and mm-hmm. et cetera and following the white rabbit blah 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 so during this journey you go through like all kinds of trials and tribulations to get this thing like the girls in braid they go into this underworld because they have a problem Mm -hmm. and they need money so they're looking for money they're looking for the safe the safe find the safe but what they don't know is that they were actually seeking emotional psychological and financial uh, not financial um emotional and psychological safety they wanted a world that they could control instead of being tossed to the wind and like see their dreams shattered in the outside, the scary outside. So the regular hero's journey starts from point A into the underworld and goes into um, getting that thing, ego death, the character almost dies, then comes back to life. And then you return as the hero, finally. It was this whole transformational process was for you to become the hero. Uh, victorious to point a so i knew that and um subconsciously or not and then like reading the um writer's journey um really helped joseph campbell and um and then i was like but life doesn't work that way you get stuck (laughs) in your in your little trippy things that you do with your head your anxieties your fears your paranoias your jealousy and your etc etc so the thing about braid is that there is this like cycle but it turns into a like never-ending circle this like spirally braided gorge of rabbit hole that never ends because it's like what if i can't get out like what if i do embark upon this journey and the night never ends what if Mm -hmm. i'm like stuck in a nightmare and that nightmare becomes Is that why it's called braid? Because of the intertwining nature of also your that, reality also, and yes, many things. Um it's that 
yes. Also because, yeah, because it's like braiding reality and dreams and all of it. Um, okay. But you like, can't undo it once you started it. And the three girls just like having this like intertwined, like, you know, right. character um, arches and character arcs. And, um, and then because of Dr. James Braid, he's this like doctor in the 1800s, I believe that, okay. um, um, made a theory out of self-hypnosis. Um, so hmm. he's like, he's considered, yeah, no, he's like not that known, but he is, the, um, he has the father of self-hypnosis and he just like made a theory out of like being able to, you can cure yourself and your psychosis by hypnotize by um yeah using hypnosis so hmm. um that idea of just like creating like fake images in your head to like heal the body and heal the mind for real um was just like interesting to me in a way that we kind of always do that we always like trick ourselves into like imagining things like getting mm -hmm. ready for something it's like a, it's a form of a, of a self-defense mechanism and all these things we imagine do end up like changing the chemistry in our brain. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. I'm going to write that down. Dr. James, right. I'm yeah. checking them out. The, <laughs> it's like something of like the rational of like sleep or the rationale of sleep. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. Mitzi, this was so much fun. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're, you're cool. Oh, thank you. Are there <laughs> any, uh, any parting wisdom for aspiring filmmakers? I would say I would say the big one is write about what scares you. Oh, that's big. Write about what write about what scares you. Yeah, so okay. that you can because like as long as like you feel like it's coming from a true, from a place of honesty for yourself, someone else will resonate mm -hmm. with it. Like don't write yeah. for because you know that people are into something. Don't write based on like what's the latest trend. Just like think about what you're scared of what keeps you up at night and write mm -hmm. about that. That's great. Yeah. Eli, that's exactly what Eli Roth does. Actually, mm. everything he does reflects an actual fear that he has. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay, great. Thank you Thank again you so much. Oh my God. So much insight. I don't even know where to start. Anyway, here are my key takeaways for directors from this conversation with Mitzi Perone. Number one, don't kill your darlings. Despite the old Hemingway saying, it's usually the seemingly extraneous details that don't quite translate on paper that make movies great and give directors their signature style. Certain details that might not move the plot forward can enable more nuanced elements of your movie, such as tone and character development. Producers are always cutting scripts down to make the storytelling as seamless as possible. This is obviously a good instinct, but in the process can sometimes strip out the most distinguishing details details of a movie. Always listen to the notes, but acknowledge why the material is in the screenplay in the first place. Fight the good fight, but choose your battles wisely. Number two, always innovate. After realizing the limitations of crowdfunding as a non-celebrity, Mitzi knew she needed to find a better way to raise money. A chance encounter with a blockchain executive inspired her to come up with a more creative way to raise her funds, which she did using cryptocurrency. It was a brilliant idea, but it was still a rough road that was plagued with multiple disagreements, legal complications, and endless website bugs. But once her blockchain-based crowdfunding platform launched, Mitzi raised over $1.5 million for Braid, and she was off to the races. Number three, 
find executives who are ready to take risks. Mitzi was a first-time director on Braid and stated that if she had pitched a seasoned film executive with a notable track record, she probably wouldn't have gotten a deal. Mitzi recommends finding producers who aren't quite as established yet so you can go the distance together. Someone less successful may not have the name and notoriety, but they have a much bigger incentive to make your movie a success because you're both in it together and both of your futures could be impacted by the project's success. Number four, study the humanities. Mitzi was a dedicated student of literature, philosophy, art, and psychology, and as a result, brought an extremely sophisticated sensibility to Braid. The movie was psychologically potent, visually stunning, endlessly intriguing, all while still delivering the horror goods. This comes with being well-read, and Mitzi recommends immersing yourself in the Greek tragedies, the humanities, and Joseph Campbell's hero with a thousand faces. Number five, get the right actors. In addition to adding realism and believability to your movie, the right actors can also lend credibility to your film, which attracts funding and producers. If you don't have the money for great actors, make sure the script gives them great exposure or the opportunity to do something they've been wanting to do. This will let you attract actors who you otherwise couldn't afford. A great casting director is also a must. Number six, collaboration. Enable everyone to feel as though they are working with you and not for you. Having a sense of mission on your set makes the sleepless nights and grueling production schedules way more bearable for your crew and ultimately makes your movie better. Establishing this kind of morale is best accomplished by giving everyone on the crew a voice in the production. The spirit of collaboration is important to have on set because it makes everyone feel personally invested in the project. This, in turn, inspires them to work harder and more passionately. So on set... Make it a village. Enable, empower, listen, and make it a mission that you are all on together. Anyway, guys, hope you enjoyed this episode. I surely did. It would be a huge favor to the show and to me if you share this episode with your friends and family on social media. Don't forget to subscribe to the Nick Taylor Horror Show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Thanks again for listening, guys. Thanks again for listening, guys.